I'm going to be Superman. I'm going to be Batman. Why do you want to be Batman? Because I got to go to the car. And I'm going to be Wonder Woman, because girls rock. I'm going to be Baby Jesus. Why do you want to be a baby? Because he can save the world. Good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt, the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship. And uh, as that video alludes to, uh, we're talking about Christmas. And we're talking about the baby Jesus. And why in the world would you send a Savior as a baby? And why would you use ordinary people? And why would you make the announcement that the Savior is born to a group of shepherds? That's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, and that's our topic. Uh, it's the title of the message, that, of the outline that's inside your bulletin, so you know where I'm going with my message today, The Foolishness, quote-unquote, of the Angel's Announcement. We're calling this series The Foolishness of Christmas because the Bible tells us that God's foolishness is wiser than any of our wisdom. And we can think God is ridiculous or God's gone about things the wrong way. In reality, we're the ones who've gotten it all wrong. And today, I want to give us some very good reasons why the angel appeared and gave this good news to some shepherds, not to some high and mighty people who would have gotten the word out a lot faster probably, but not with the right tone or, with, or the right way. So let me have a word of prayer for us and we'll jump right in. Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here today to, to read from your word the account of how an angel appeared to some shepherds and told them the good news that Jesus was born. Pray, Lord, you'd remind us again of why this is such good news. And why you chose shepherds uh, to receive this announcement. I pray that today you'll speak and you'll move me out of the way. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And I pray, Lord, that you would guide us as we celebrate Christmas this year. And you use this message to get our hearts ready. In the name of Christ, amen. If you didn't get a pen on your way in, raise your hand. One of the ushers will be glad to bring one to you. You're going to take some notes on this because why didn't God send Superman? Why didn't he send Batman? Why didn't he send somebody to just go and clean this thing up in a hurry? Why send a baby? And why announce things the way he did? Well, Paul gives us a little bit of a clue here that our thinking might not be right in 1 Corinthians 1 when he says, This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you, Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. And when Paul wrote that to the Christians in ancient Corinth, one of the things he was writing about, they were a case study. They were proof positive that God came to save garden variety sinners. And if that's good news for you and me, would you say amen? amen. Yeah, because we're a bunch of garden variety sinners right here. Ordinary people. In this paragraph, we've been introducing every single segment of the Christmas story this year through the lens of this paragraph. God used ordinary people. That was his plan from the get-go. And today you'll see it when he makes the announcement to the shepherds. In fact, that's point one on your outline. An angel foolishly, quote-unquote, announced Jesus' birth to a group of shepherds watching their sheep near Bethlehem. Not the king in his palace. He didn't appear at the temple at high noon with all the priests out in array. Didn't do any of that. 
appear to a group of shepherds at night to make the biggest announcement ever? What in the world? Well, let's read the story and we'll see. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Jesus has been born in Bethlehem, placed in a manger. We'll talk about the manger scene and all of that next week, but that's already happened. And that night, there were shepherds nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. If you would underline that sentence, please. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. By the way, that's where the title of that Christmas hymn comes from. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. It's this verse right here. This is great joy to all people. The world, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord has come. So they weren't really creative. They just took it out of the Bible. Okay, anyway, there you go. Uh, no, but it's, it's why we sing that carol. That's what the angel said. And we need to sing it. But that was the good news. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. And then if you'd circle the words, the Savior. We're going to talk about why it's joy to all people and why we need a Savior in just a minute. Yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. That's, another, that's what Bethlehem was called because that's where David was from. But... When Jesus was born, the angel was telling them, hey, this is terribly important that you understand the Messiah is here. David was the greatest king Israel had ever had, and the prophecies had been out for hundreds of years, 600 years at least, before these shepherds heard the announcement that there would one day be born into the Israelite people, the Jewish people, a descendant of David, someone who would be just like him, a man after God's own heart, a great king, but he wouldn't just set up a temporary kingdom. He'd set up a kingdom that would never end. And like David, he would be an anointed one. That's what Messiah means. When David became king, the prophet Samuel put olive oil all over him, and it represented that the Spirit of God was all over him. And this would be someone like that, filled with God's Spirit, an anointed one, a Messiah. That's Hebrew for anointed one. The Greek term for it is Christ. So that's why he's Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the anointed one, the Christ. It's a title. It's not his last name. Jesus Christ wasn't the son of Mary Christ and Joseph Christ. That's not the way it worked, okay? Jesus Christ is the anointed one, someone like David who would set up a kingdom after God's own heart that would never end. These shepherds were no theologians, but they'd heard these stories. And so when the angel appeared, this would have been like, Amazing. Gentlemen, the Messiah, the anointed one, the heir to David's throne, has been born in Bethlehem just over the hill. And the angel went on, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, in highest heaven, and peace on earth. Please circle peace on earth. We're going to get to that in a second, too. To those with whom God is pleased. And so there's no pretense about this. The angels have been waiting since time began to make this announcement. There would be a Messiah who would come, who would be able to reconcile sinful people and holy God. Somebody who would bridge the gap so that everyone could come 
and have a right relationship with God again, the way God originally intended. And so when the angel made the announcement, all the others joined in. One angel got to proclaim the truth. All the others said, we're getting in on this. We're singing. And you wonder how amazing that was to see the whole sky filled with angels and realize they'd been watching this all along. But why shepherds? If you look at the note here in ancient Israel, shepherds were near the bottom of the social ladder. You don't get to be a shepherd by being well-connected. Wow, you're a real socialite. I think you ought to go watch the sheep. Hey, you seem to be an up-and-comer. Let's put you out in the pasture at night. I mean, nobody's going to do that. The shepherds were the people who were out there. They weren't known for their social networking skills. They weren't known because they were of high position or of great educational background. They weren't known for their glittering conversation, their ability to engage people in conversation. They were known as people who could protect sheep at night from wolves and thieves. Loners. I mean, you've got to think of somebody who might be part security guard, part cowboy out on the range. This is who you're going to announce this to? Who are they going to tell? How's that going to work? I mean, come on, God, if you're going to send your son into the world, at least find somebody who's got some connections. Find somebody in the palace. Find somebody who knows how to get the word out fast. Great communication skills. God, do you need a marketing expert? Because I don't think you're doing this right. And that's how we might be tempted to approach this. But God wasn't looking for Superman. wasn't looking for a great marketing agent. He's looking for shepherds. And there's a life application in this for you and me. The good news is for everybody. The good news is for everybody. Would you say that with me, please? The good news is for everybody. One more time. The good news is for everybody. Look, from the very start, when God announced this, he wanted to announce and didn't want anybody to misunderstand this. This is for everybody. I'm sending a Savior into the world to save everybody because everybody needs saving. If he starts out with only the elite, the cream of the crop to get the word out, it could be easily misunderstood. Well, he started with those people. I guess those are the people who need to hear this. I guess those are the people who need to share this because that's who he shared it with. I'm not one of those people. I don't travel in those circles. I'm not smart enough, tall enough, pretty enough, old enough, wise enough, whatever enough. I don't measure up, so I can't come. And so Jesus said, well, I'm going to start this announcement with people way down in the social ladder, so nobody's going to misunderstand this. Everyone is important to me. Everyone matters to me. Jesus said so himself. This is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, please circle whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Do you know why it's good news that the Savior has been born? Because we need saving. If that's good news to you today, would you say amen now? Amen. Yeah. We need saving. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. And so he started with shepherds to prove to everybody, hey, this is for everyone. Everyone can play. I want you to come, no matter who you are. You're welcome in my table. Come to me. It wasn't just here. I mean, later on in his ministry, I've got a paragraph from Matthew 9 where Matthew was called to be one of the disciples. Sometimes we forget who the disciples were. 
They were ordinary people. In fact, if the shepherds were on the second rung of the social ladder, Matthew was on the bottom rung. Matthew, the guy who wrote the book of Matthew in the Bible. Yeah, him. He was a tax collector. The Romans were occupying Israel at the time. They'd conquered it by force, and they held on to it. And they exacted payment for that. They maintained soldiers there to keep the peace. And so they put heavy taxes on the people. But they didn't know what things were worth. They didn't know where people kept their stuff. They could easily hide stuff, and the Romans would never figure it out. Unless, of course, they found Hebrews, Israelites, who were willing to turn on their own people and be their representatives. Those people spoke the language. Those people knew what things were truly worth. Those people could tax them adequately. But who's going to turn on your own people? Well, there's always a few people that'll do anything for money. And so the Romans were looking for people like Matthew, a guy who would turn on his own people, collect the taxes for Rome, and the way Rome sweetened the pot was this. They said, you know, if you collect taxes for us, you can add on top of that whatever you think you can get away with. And we have guards that'll back you up. So people like Matthew would not only turn on their own people as a traitor representing Rome, but then they would exact these exorbitant tax rates, sometimes two and three times what the Romans requested. Romans didn't care as long as they got their share. And some of these folks became fabulously wealthy by extortion. They stole money from their own people to pay the Romans. Thieves, traitors, turncoats. People hated people like Matthew. And so Jesus comes up to Matthew at his tax collecting booth one day and goes, follow me. And you've probably heard people gasp. Well, Matthew would be a perfect disciple. How do I know it was such a big deal? Well, Matthew 9 talks about this. Later, that same day, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples home as his dinner guests. I mean, if he's going to be a disciple, we ought to get to know the whole gang. Along with many of his tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees, and they were the self-righteous people who knew the Bible backwards and forwards but didn't have any use for sinners, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. And this is Hosea 6.6, by the way. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I've come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And apparently Matthew did. And he knew it was time to get right with God, and he jumped all the way in. Can I say something this Christmas? We need saving. In our world today, there are people around us who need saving. They need a Savior. They're like Matthew. They may have tried status. They may have tried pleasure. They may have tried wealth, but they didn't find any satisfaction. And when Matthew came to Jesus, he jumped all the way, and he later died for his faith because he was so grateful for what Jesus had done for him. Maybe today you're tired of running. Maybe this Christmas you're tired of running. You're tired of stacking up money or pleasure or power because you realize it doesn't truly satisfy, and you're ready to come to Jesus. Come today. We pray with people every single week here. We've got nothing better to do. I love it. It was just, uh, wasn't that long ago, a fellow came to my office and fell to his knees when he walked in the door. He goes, I've made a mess of my life and I need Jesus and I need Jesus now and you need to pray for me. I didn't go, well, no, wait a minute. We need to see your ACT scores first. Wait a minute. We need to have a credit check. Wait a minute. Do you got any references? You know what I did? I prayed with him. 
He'd made a mess of his life, and he confessed his sins. I was glad the door was shut. It took a while. Okay, I mean, there was a lot. He was due. And God's changing him every single day. What I would tell you is, there are some people that in the sound of my voice, or watch, they'll be watching this on the internet six months from now. You need to know that God loves you. And the angel wasn't kidding. This is good news for all people everywhere. A Savior has been born. His name is Christ. And God sent a Savior because we need saving. And if you flip your outline over, there's another note here. Angels still rejoice when sinners repent. They're still rejoicing. And I threw this in about the story about the angels and the shepherds because this story that Jesus talked about involves angels and shepherds. And it fits. Exactly what we're talking about here, too. This is from Luke 15. Jesus said, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he'll joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. When the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Angels still rejoice when sinners repent. Angels rejoiced when the Savior of the world came into the world because they couldn't believe God would be willing to come and rescue sinners. And the angels still rejoice when a sinner repents and comes home to God. I mean, it's true. When a person falls to their knees, when a person says, I've made a mess of my life, Lord, forgive me, and they come to Christ, confess their sins, and turn away, angels throw a party in heaven. That's all true. But what I, want to, what I want to introduce to us here is one of the ramifications of this that you and I may not think about, and this is terribly important as to why Jesus sent the angels to talk to shepherds. The shepherds were not a group of theologians, not a group of seminary students sitting around talking about when the Messiah would come. You know what they were? They were ordinary people doing their job, watching their flocks at night. And all of a sudden, in the middle of a Tuesday or the middle of a Wednesday night, whenever it was, bam, the angel appeared. Good news, fellas! The Savior has been born. And they were terrified. Justifiably so. But understand this. These were not a group of people who had been on their knees praying that God would make a way for them to become right with him. These were people that probably weren't giving God any thoughts at that particular moment. They were just doing their jobs. I'm not saying these were bad guys. I don't think they were. I think they were just ordinary people going about life. And so let this sink in a little bit more now. So do you understand how amazing it is that a Savior came into the world? Because we can wrap our minds around it if a person comes to John Schmidt's office and says, hey, I need Jesus. Would you pray for me? And we go, sure, because that sinner came home. And so even where I wrote here at the top where it says angels still rejoice... Rejoice when sinners repent and come to Jesus. Cross out the word come and put surrender to Jesus. Because the truth is, I don't want to imply to anybody here that come to Jesus. I meant that like have a come to Jesus meeting where you got to deal with this. That's what I meant it in that tone. But I don't want to imply that it's only available for those who are turning around looking for him. The good news of when Jesus came into the world is that Jesus came and found us when no one was looking for him. I mean, that's one of the significant things about appearing to the shepherds. They weren't out at a prayer meeting. They weren't talking about the Messiah. They're just doing their jobs, going about life. Lost people in need of a Savior 
And though we can celebrate, and we should celebrate, that Christ accepts those who come to him and forgives them, do you know that Christ goes further than that? He pursues people who aren't even looking for him. Now think about this. When you and I come across someone who's lived a hard life, maybe through addictions and pain and all sorts of other troubles, and they're far away from God, we are tempted to write them off. Do you know that Jesus says, that's the person I want to pursue? And many of us, if we were honest in our lives, we would say, oh, well, God was pursuing me a lot more than I was pursuing him. C.S. Lewis, the guy who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and other Christian writings, was a profound Christian thinker. He said for us as Christians to say that we found Jesus is like a mouse turning around and saying, hey, I found a cat. I mean, that cat has been pursuing him all along. You know, even the guy who's on his knees in my office and other people like him, I talk to him, I go, hey, let me just ask you something. Has anybody been praying for you? Oh, my grandmother was praying for me for 20 years. My wife's been praying for me for 10 years. I got a brother. He invites me to church so many times. He's going to faint when I tell him I asked Jesus in my heart. Those things happen all the time, and we find out that God's been pursuing them through a friend, through a relative, through all kinds of circumstances. In between the services, I pray with people. One of the fellows that came up and said, I've had all kinds of things to indicate I need to get right with God. It's amazing. And so after he goes, I understand exactly what you're talking about. I feel like God's after me. I go, he is. (laughs) Good news, fellas. God is pursuing you when you're not even thinking about him. Let this sink in. This is the good news of Christmas. God could have easily stayed way up there, sent down, you know, he sent down prophets. He sent down all kinds of warnings. People didn't listen. He said, no, I'm going down there. I'm going to rescue him myself. Mind blown. Life application, another one right out of the box for us right here is, We can have peace of heart and mind only through Jesus. I mean, Matthew had lots of money. Would have had lots of friends. Not good friends, but apparently he was able to draw a pretty good crowd. He was honor among thieves. He cast it all in to follow Jesus. He wanted peace. No more guilty conscience. No more sleepless nights. He could be right with God through a personal relationship with Jesus, and he took it. That's why he wrote that gospel of Matthew. He wanted everybody to know how good it was. Isaiah had said that's what Jesus came to do, to give us peace of heart and mind. Circle that heart and mind thing here. You'll see this now. For a child is born to us. This is a prophecy about Jesus. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus himself said, I am leaving you with a gift. He told his disciples this peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. I mean, the world can give us stuff. The world can give us pleasure. The world can give us title. But the world cannot give us peace. I don't have to prove this to you. You and I all know it. We read about movie stars, billionaires, 
People with everything the world can give them. And the one thing they lack? Peace. So they numb themselves into oblivion with alcohol or drugs. They go through relationships like water. They spend money like fools. And they have nothing. Pleasure to pleasure. Movie to movie. Lover to lover. And nothing gives them peace. And you know what we have to offer them? The good news that a Savior has been born. A God who's pursuing them, even if they haven't been pursuing Him. A God who loved them so much that He sent His Son into the world to die the penalty for the very sins they're committing. And we get to tell the world that. And the angels couldn't wait to tell the shepherds. So God foolishly announced the birth of the Messiah to a group of shepherds. That was point one. Here's point two. God foolishly, quote unquote, allowed the shepherds to be his ambassadors of the good news. Okay, so he announced to the shepherds, proved the point. It was for everybody. Got that, John. But then he went to the temple at high noon, right? Then he went to the people with connections who could get the story out. No, he stuck with them. But John, these are guys, they don't have any theological training. What if they don't explain it quite right? What if they didn't understand the full meaning of everything? Uh, it's enough. It's enough. I like using ordinary people. But when the angels had returned to heaven, this is continuing on Luke 2, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried to the village, and there they found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger, just like the angel said. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. If you'd underline, the angels told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them. That's what they told everybody. All who heard what the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Here's a life application. God foolishly wants ordinary people like us to be his ambassadors today. See, that was why it was important again. Not only did he make the announcement to them, okay, so it's available for everybody, but he also didn't want anybody to misunderstand that ordinary people are his chosen ambassadors for spreading the truth. Because the very best ambassador to your family and to your workplace is probably you. The very best ambassador to my family and my workplace is me. Now, I run into all kinds of interesting situations with this. I have people that want to talk to someone about Christ, and so they'll call me and say, John, I want you to join me and a friend for lunch. And I go, okay. What are we talking about? Well, I want them to hear about Jesus. And I go, okay. And then we get to lunch, and they go, this is John. He has something to tell you. I'm the ringer. I'm the ringer. And so I go, okay, uh, all right. And they want me to tell them about Jesus. And so I start in as the person goes, wait, so is this kind of like a gospel presentation? Uh, yeah. And then they turn to the person who invited us to lunch and go, well, why didn't you tell me? And I turn to them and go, yeah, why didn't you tell them? I go, well, I don't feel qualified. I'm just an ordinary person. Can anybody understand what's going on here? Yeah. And I go, okay, look, I'll be glad to clear up any parts you get stuck on. Why don't you tell them what Jesus did for you? And then the person who invited us tells us how Jesus changed his life and did some amazing things. And the friend goes, oh, that's great. Why were you afraid to tell me that? 
And I go, yeah, why were you afraid to tell him that? Look, if you want me to go to lunch and clear up any part, if you're buying, I'm coming, okay, that's no problem, all right? But, or, but if you get stuck on something, you want to refer people to me, please do. But let's not keep this to ourselves. The shepherds just told people what they'd heard and seen. You get the same idea from Paul, 2 Corinthians 5.20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ. We plead, come back to God. That's 2 Corinthians 5. Here's Colossians 1. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom that God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ with all the wisdom God has given us. If God hasn't given you more, you can't share more wisdom than you have. Just share what you know. That's all the shepherds did. And that was good enough. And God wanted us to read this today and understand, look, if my good news has become plain to you, share it. Just share what you've seen and heard. That's enough. Man, if I could encourage us to be bold in this. Not only do people come to my office sometimes and repent. Not only do I get invited to lunch to be their ringer, the evangelist expert. Another thing happens, and it's painful a lot of times. People will ask me to come and share the gospel with a relative or friend who's dying. They might be 40 or 60 or 80 years old, and they're in a hospice care or something like this, or they're in a hospital, and they only have a short time to live, and they want to make sure somebody talks to them about Jesus before they die. And nobody has for 80 years. So they ask me to come in, and I'll be glad to talk to them about Jesus. But I talk to family members afterward, and they go, oh, I'm so glad you came. just didn't know how to bring that up. And what will really break your heart is it's happened to me before when I'm leaving a graveside after doing a funeral. And a friend would walk up and go, and I'd shared at the funeral that I'd met with the person who'd passed away and shared the gospel with him. they go, oh, I'm so glad you did. I, man, I knew that somebody needed to share the gospel with him. I just didn't know the right time. And when we're walking back to the car from the edge of the graveside, a couple of times I probably should have held my tongue, but I couldn't help it. I go, well, before now would have been the right time. Do you know the right time to share the good news about Jesus is before people are dead? Before they die? Again, hear me. I am so glad. If you want me to tell people about Jesus, I'm there. But can I tell you? I don't know your friends. You do. Share what you know. I'll come fill in the gaps you don't. And if I don't know, then I'll pass you on to somebody who's smarter than me. But my friends, we get to be God's ambassadors. And God wanted from the very beginning to say, hey, good news, fellas. The Savior, the Messiah, the anointed one like David, he's finally been born. The day is here. He's coming into the world as a baby. And I'm telling you first, you got to go see this. You'll find him in Bethlehem in a manger. And all the angels of heaven burst out in song and said, this is the greatest thing ever. And after the angels were gone, they went to see this. It was exactly as 
the angel told him. And then they went and told people. An angel appeared to us and told us, this child is the Messiah. It was exactly as he said. They didn't feel inadequate. They didn't feel like they needed a seminary degree. They had not been praying about this, but I haven't lived a perfect life. It doesn't say these shepherds lived perfect lives. You know what the Bible tells us? That God chose people like those shepherds because he likes to choose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers so terribly important. And God loved it. So that today we are without excuse. Well, I'm not the one who tells them about Jesus. I don't know enough. I haven't lived a perfect life. Well, neither did they. And that's all part of God's plan. Because he wants everybody to come. And he wants ordinary people like you and me to spread that good news to other people so they can come. Because we know a whole bunch of garden variety.